Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999. Hanging off a ledge here, hanging off a balcony here in 2022. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybert. And I'm Phyllis Gove. And with us again, back for another gem, <laughs> is Jessica Ellis, the queen of Twitter. Great to have you back, Jessica. Hi, guys. I'm so happy. You know, I realized this is my this is my five timers club. It is. So yes. I was I was expecting like a smoking jacket and Steve <laughs> and Steve Martin, yeah, and yeah. instead got this yes. movie. <laughs> That's right. You got you you got Don Johnson and Ellen DeGeneres. So wow. You know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I I I want to just first of all say you're going to get a great movie in 2009 when you come on the Patreon for 2009. So I hope that that makes up for what I feel like is a, a somewhat of a, we did do Sex Lies and Videotape which is a legitimately great It film. seemed like we were moving in a good direction. <laughs> and then swerved and towards then Don Johnson. <laughs> yeah. yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, this you know, we were talking a little bit before uh, before we hopped on mic about this run that Kenny and I seem to find ourselves in uh, of sort of crime, crime adjacent, sort of, I don't want to say bumbling criminals, but like yeah. criminals that are bad at their jobs. Yeah, so they're all overmatched criminals. Like these yes. aren't, for the most part, movies about hardened criminals. They're no. about people who are just kind of dipping their toes into the crime game mm-hmm. yep. and they're not particularly good at it. No. But not in like a 
not in the charming Cone Brothers way. And no. and, and more Which than but this any, movie could have been. I feel totally like. more than any movie, any of these yeah. movies. Like they see, I, I've been saying Reservoir Dogs a lot that they seem to be Reservoir Dogs influenced. This movie is Fargo influenced. This movie, yeah. they saw Fargo and they thought wacky crime caper, yep. Yep. you know, hard, you know, kind of hard edge. Though I don't think Francis Norman's that hard edge, but hard edge female detective. Uh, switching perspectives between the two, but I think you know, I, I this is a lot of them seem like they want to be Coen Brothers movies, yes. but this one seems like it wants to be a Coen Brothers movie from the uh, from the inception stage. Correct. Yes. Um, and it it, it fails. It's also, it really it, shows you how like how hard how it is to make a Coen Brothers movie. Yes. Yes. And how like they're they're so adroit at twists. In the way that that don't feel too twisty, if that makes sense. Like they don't seem to be rubbing your face in their twists. It's just sort of like there's just turns of story that they're just really, really graceful at. And this is the opposite of that. Like there's just turns that are like ha- I, there's a certain point in this one where I just I kind of just tapped out. I was like, I'm done with your twists. I don't <laughs> want any more of them. Uh, I'm annoyed by everyone in this movie. Um, to just pivot back quickly to sort of this run that we're doing. I mean, it's best laid plans, simpatico, goodbye lover, Gloria, and then there was oh, Eye of the Beholder. Eye of the Beholder. Just, and I, I, wait, there there's one more. Yeah. Uh uh fuck. All right, I'll think of it. No, it was, was there one? Best laid plans, Eye of the Beholder, Simpatico, yes. Gloria, Goodbye Lover, this. Gloria Five. Okay, yeah. sure. My question to both of you is, I would argue that I'm not convinced any of these movies would get made today. Oh, and I know I... that's sort of like an easy Twitter fucking troll thing to say, but on some level, there's a part of me that's like, we, we talked a little bit about this with Deep Water. We've talked about this sort of in general, but like post Pulp Fiction, late 90s, mid 90s, you had a lot of these kind of noirish. Elmore Leonardy kind of things that we're trying, and, and I think I they just all don't get think, made today. I don't think that lane exists anymore. I think that there's the the one of that. All right, so Gloria is a is an yeah. outlier because it's a remake of a beloved movie. I think John Cassavetes movie. It's so weird. Lumet does a Cassavetes remake. So I can't get over how fucking weird that is. He's fucking <laughs> older than Cassavetes. It's so weird to me. Um, it, so weird. but the movie's uh, bizarre. It, it's just it's the it's one of the weirdest things. Nineteen years after, like a master makes a movie, your contemporary, you come back and do it again. I, I, I'll never understand that one. But uh, Glory is a little different because there's always going to be lane yeah. for that kind of yeah. remake, fortunately or unfortunately. I, the Beholder, is the one I don't think gets made anymore. Um, the other one made then, <laughs> yeah, bad movie. The other ones feel like the kind of movie that. You know, they kind of can get made for two million dollars or less with not big stars, right? Try their luck on you know the festival circuit and like act as if they're the next Hell or High Water. But yeah. frankly, Hell or High Water is like kind of the only one that's like this to break out in the last 10 years, as far as I can remember. But there, yeah, there's but there also- are versions of movies like this. Place Beyond the Pines, there are versions of movies sure, like this sure. that kind of that kind of like make. And honestly, even to like pig that kind of like stick their head above the surface a little bit every year. But like those are a lot more auteur driven. No question. No question. You know what I mean? Like, Jessica, when I asked you to do this movie, you said, what's that? 
Yes. Uh, fair. Uh, this movie doesn't exist. I don't. The movie's I don't called Goodbye Lover. Yes, the movie is called Goodbye Lover. Um, but you you watched it last night. We texted a little bit about it. You went through a whole journey <laughs> watching it. Um, but do you feel like? I guess my question to you is more like, do you miss this kind of movie? Like, this is a fucking Warner Brothers movie with like, you know, five. It's a great question. Qu- I'm very interested in the answer to this. Five people above the title. That, that are all relatively known people, right? Like this is, this movie just, is this something you miss? Uh, it's, no. Uh, <laughs> it's, there, I mean, if, like, imagine that this was a good movie. That yes, this was yes, a good, yes. the good version of this. Yeah. Of the, you know, it's an erotic thriller, kind of. Kind it's of. a detective story. Well, I mean, there's an awful lot of much more graphic and weird-ass sex scenes than we get in movies today. True. Generally. And violence. There's like, Yeah, there's some pretty hardcore violence. Um, But, like, I have never liked movies where everyone is awful. That's that's a kind of a hard line for me. Like, I can't, I I just want to kill people when when everyone is awful. Uh, So, like, (laughs) this this is exactly the movie that I'm like, I don't understand how somebody gets through writing something like this. Because it's just a collection of horrible people being illogical and, and insane. And right. I, that that's not Are my kind of writing. Are you a dark comedy fan? I like dark comedy, okay. but this, I couldn't figure out I if agree. the comedy was intentional. Like, I, I, I never knew how seriously the movie was taking itself. The tone's all off. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the only reason that I say this is, you know, a hair above the other ones. Because <laughs> I think this one takes itself a little less seriously than the other ones. Sure. Um, the the Ellen DeGeneres character, the other detective, those guys don't have a place in the other movies that are that are so self serious. Mm-hmm. Um, not that those characters are funny; they are not. Um, Ellen DeGeneres, decidedly not. Ellen DeGeneres is, uh, in my opinion, a subpar actor, delivering uh, really bad lines. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it's a it's a real confluence of 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 hideousness, but. Um, <laughs> But <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 yeah, no, I think that there's silliness mm-hmm. in this movie and genuinely talented actors. Like, I love Mary Louise Parker. Uh, I love Patricia Arquette. So, like, genuinely talented people in this movie who seem to be somewhat in control of the tone when they're in the movie that made it. They're again, locked into their character. character. Like, I think they know what their character is. Marilyn Yes. And I think I think Patricia Arquette does too. I guess I just sort of the Cohen Brothers thing is a really, really good touchstone because I do feel like this movie needed to be weirder. Like part of it was, to your point, Jessica, and I completely agree. Like, am I is this supposed to be funny? Is this not supposed to be funny? Now yeah. I'm sure the director would be like, that's exactly what we, we want you to be on your toes. We're just like, I, yeah. I should tell you, I know the director. I know Roland Jaffe. Mm-hmm. He's one of my best friends. I'm kidding. He he directed <laughs> he directed every episode of Sun Records. So well, he did. Uh, interesting. Yes, he did the whole run, and he has an incredibly bizarre career in that, like he, he is like a British auteur, and he directed like The Killing Fields, which is <laughs> one of the most fucking serious, you know, stone faced movies of all time, and also like a masterpiece in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, he's good just to run through. Just for for, for ahead, our, our listeners, but but stop Killing before Fields. you stop before yeah. you get to two thousand. Yeah, yeah. Or, or uh, before you get yeah. Go ahead. 
Killing Fields, The Mission, Fat Man and Little Boy, City of Joy, uh, Scarlet Letter, the the yep. uh, the Gary the Oldman uh, <laughs> Demi Moore. Oh God, the Demi Scarlet Moore. Letter. Oh my God. Um, then this, and then it's then it's then he's done. Then then he doesn't so, know anything that anyone knows. The Sun Records. Uh, I, I don't don't you see it? I was not no, talking no, television. Unfortunately, you're, nobody you're knows. Right. Sun did, Records. He did, did all. You were not talking. You were not talking television, which is interesting because there is a credit on his producerial credit mm-hmm. that is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. He created Undressed, MTV's <laughs> sure, Undressed. Sure, sure. Right, Jessica. What? <laughs> the guy. Who directed Dr. Hang S. Noor to an Oscar <laughs> created the low budget, low fi shot on video late night MTV teen sex show. And I mean, which had a fucking reboot a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I actually asked him about it. And he, yeah, he, he, he talked about it like, and I, I, I don't want to sound dismissive. Or 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 superior mm-hmm. because he really sold it to me, but he talked about it like this was actually like a really important project. Like in America, you don't have teen shows talking frankly about sex the way That's you do true. in Europe. That's true. And he set out to do a European style teen show in America. I'm shocked and it didn't like, work. It, did work. That's you know what I mean. It depends on what you're using it for. I I mean, forever. But do you think that it changed like sex education in this country? No, no, no. Because it was too tawdry. It got it got MTV. It got MTVified, and it just. I I don't know what his intention was because it's just a super weird credit. Um, But he has another weirder credit, if you ask me. Was that he produced the Super Mario Brothers movie? Oh my god! He was supposed to direct it. That's real. He was supposed to direct no, I believe it. that it's real. It's and, he had, and he had he had a tr- he had a truly there's a uh, there is some episode <laughs> of some podcast on this that I listened to. He had a truly psychotic take that sounded amazing. <laughs> um and and they and Nintendo wouldn't go down that road with him. Oh, uh, but uh, yeah, no, he did. He 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 was he, he was supposed to direct the Super That's Mario. That's incredible. Movie. So he's had an incredibly weird career. He yeah. is, and it, it like he's a he's a normal British guy, an exceedingly normal guy. Like he is not a weirdo, he's not a freak, he's just a guy. And uh, my guess is he was just he was. My guess is like he was taking a shot at doing a Coen Brothers film, and you know, no, for sure, like Super Mario Brothers kind of came up short. I I mean, truly, first of all, like I mean, listen, I don't think that this script is any great shakes. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't think that it's on the page necessarily, but I do think that if you bring together the right cast, I just think the casting on this is kind of wonky. I think Patricia Arquette, Arquette's always great and as is Mary Louise Parker. But Don Johnson's a choice. I love Dermot Mulroney. I worked with him on Station 19. Lovely guy. He actually plays like dirtbag pretty well in this, if I'm not, if I'm being honest. But again, like it's it's kind of a weird hodgepodgey cast. The all gel. This movie cost twenty million dollars too. Oh I my think. god! <laughs> I think Dermot Mulroney uh, grew into the character actor yes. he was meant to be. I agree, and I think this is actually using him probably in in, in a I agree you know appropriate way 
But Dermot Mulroney, uh, you know, the guy you go to when Dylan McDermott turns you down, never felt right to me. In this? No, this he's this he's oh, okay. Yes, yeah. I think but just in, in this, general. Yeah, I like I mean the thing about Dermot Mulroney that I think is interesting, because really I associate my best friend's wedding is kind of like the role that I think of. And he's yeah. really good in that because I feel actually, like he's, he's actually fantastic. Right? Like he's yes, the perfect, he he's he's a good looking guy. You believe he's in the sports world. Like he you can understand why she's in love with him. He feels he feels right. And in this, I actually kind of bought him as this kind of scummy guy. Um, you know, he's always looking a little sweaty, a little hungover. Um, he's he's got the right energy. I just, this movie's very strange and it's strange kind of from the jump where you're just like, I'm not really sure what the fuck is going on really from the very beginning. And sometimes that's a good thing. Like I like being put through my paces sometimes by a movie, but let me just give a brief synopsis for our listeners. This movie is, this is the Google synopsis, a thriller about the perfect girl next door. Okay. Uh, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful, friendly, and a devout churchgoer. She believes in always doing good, but underneath the pleasant exterior is a ruthless woman determined to get the lifestyle she thinks she deserves. I mean, that's a version of this movie. That would have been a better movie. They should have made that movie. Yeah. That would have been this, much more interesting. This movie's about like double crosses and like kind of bumbling criminals and essentially kind of like i don't want to say that that patricia arquette's character sandra has or sandra has a bloodlust necessarily but she certainly is fine just straight up murdering people <laughs> all right so um, what's this movie about guys i did i i i took the bullet and tried to oh. explain what i the beholder was about okay, okay. uh so phil i'm gonna hand this one i'll to try you. this one if you, if sure. you think you can i mean ultimately this feels like you have this Patricia Arquette character named Sandra. Sandra. I also just want to pre- preemptively say that. So each week when we do these episodes, I cut and paste the plot summary from Wikipedia, and I kind of work my way as I'm watching the film, as I'm giving my notes. I'm kind of plugging them in in the in the synopses. Most of the time, the synopsis is usually about a page because it's just sort of whatever. This is one of the most detailed plot synopses I've ever seen on Wikipedia. It's Good. like three pages long. So, which which just goes to show that this movie has way too much plot. Like, it's just got way too many plates spinning. Um, but ultimately, it feels like a woman who's who's cheating on her husband with his brother, played by Don Johnson. Dermot Mulroney's brother is Don Johnson. And he... Uh, the religious component of this movie also just seems like from a different movie. Like, I don't even know why it's here, but like they're churchgoers, but Don Johnson runs a kind of like a PR firm for like politicians on the right is sort of what I'm assuming. It's not particularly clear, but that's kind of what it is. Uh, And these two brothers work at this PR firm. um, And there's a lot of money involved. Like there's money. Don Johnson has a lot of money in this firm. They're both sleeping with Mary Louise Parker um, and they're trying to screw each other out of the family's money kind of thing. Um, and then mixed into all of this is Patricia Arquette's character who's trying to kind of screw everybody out of all of this money as she finds out about all this adultery that's going on. Um, but then you realize that Dermot Mulroney's like 
apparently like three or four steps ahead of everybody, which was the twist where I was like, fuck this movie. I refuse to believe that this guy is a mastermind. Um, but there's a murder that happens 45 minutes into this movie, which is way too long for us to wait for a body to drop. But Don Johnson is sort of kind of killed by Patricia Arquette and Dermot Mulroney. He kind of falls over the ledge of the, of this uh, balcony and they kind of don't, Save him, and we're kind of like they like they, they hit his hands, they like they, they his want hands or whatever. They want him go. They want him. The plan was to kill him. Yeah, yes, the plan was sure. definitely to kill him. I just want to say very quickly: this movie opened on April sixteenth, nineteen ninety nine, up against Life, The Matrix, Never Been Kissed, Ten Things I Hate About You, and Analyze This. It's a it's a tough weekend. Um, it would go on to make $1.9 million on a $20 million budget. It's got 29% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 38 from audiences. Roger Ebert gave the film one star, to which he said, I've just transcribed no less than 11 pages of notes I scribbled during Goodbye Lover, and my mind boggles. The plot is so labyrinthian that, I can't, that, I, that I'd completely forgotten the serial killer named The Doctor who murders young women by injecting poison into their veins with a syringe. When a character like The Doctor is an insignificant supporting character, the movie's plate is a little too full. Goodbye Lover is not so much a story about some kind of uh, is is not so much a story as some kind of a board game with too oh, many pieces yeah. and not enough rules. The characters careen through the requirements of the plot, which has so many double reverses that the real danger isn't murder; it's being disemboweled by G forces. It's <laughs> a good line. Uh, <laughs> there's no way to care about the characters because their fates are arbitrary, determined not by character but not by personality, but by the jigsaw puzzle constructed by the screenwriters. There's a part of me that knows this movie is very, very bad, and another part of me that takes a guilty pleasure in it. Too bad I saw it in a critic screening where professional courtesy requires a certain decorum. This is the kind of movie that might be materially improved by frequent hoots of derision. Kind of, kind of agree with that. I imagine if the three of us sat down and watched this movie together, we would have had a better time just, you know, you know fucking yes. tearing it apart. A lot, lot um, of what the fucks. A lot of what, yeah. you know what the other movie that came to mind as I was watching this was The Usual Suspects. Um, okay. The only, there's a couple reasons. The first is John Ottman did the score for The Usual Suspects and there is some of his music cues that do sound quite similar, but also just like the the kind of, I don't know the the crime the the ensemble-y kind of component. It's not as good as the usual suspects. I'm just saying it's a movie that came to mind when I thought of it. The other thing, and you mentioned this to me, Jessica. You texted me and you were like, "The director of photography from The Insider did this movie." I I I was absolutely blown away by how bad the cinematography of this movie was. Scenes are set up with absolutely no context. There were like five or six scenes where I was like. Where are they? I don't know what's happened. I have yeah. no idea. Yes. Like at yes. one point, John, Don Johnson and, and uh, Mary Louise Parker walk into a hotel room, but yes. like... You can't, there's no geography. You don't you know what that room is or where they are or what's going on. It's 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 so film schooly in in yes. so many ways. And the, yeah, the cinema... I like, wonder... From, and I love The Insider. It's one of my favorite movies in the world. It's not just The Insider, by the way. It's like... Yeah, he's, he's, he's got a BAFTA. Like he has two Oscar heat. nominations. Yeah. Heat, which is a beautifully oh, shot movie. Okay. I love the way the Quick and the Dead is shot. L.A. Confidential, uh, Wonder Boys, which we're yeah. huge fans. Yeah, of. And, yeah. and then he kind of, I mean, you know, Michael Mann never really stopped using it, but he also um, got in with uh, Brett Ratner. And maybe something happened there. Who knows? I'll say this, too. I don't know if you guys have ever 
felt this way as you're watching a film, but sometimes you get the impression that like maybe the DP had too much control to some degree and that, and he was kind of just let off the chain a little because like directors of photography want to do fun shots all the time, right? Like they want to do cool things. And more times than not, I do feel like sometimes directors have to corral them a little bit or a director has a specific vision for the way that they want it to look. It's clear that the director of this film had quite frankly, not much of a vision, right? So for what, what you're left with is so many shots in mirrors, so many shots through glass tables, so many Dutch angles, right? Like it's just, it's doing too much visually that to your, to your point, Jessica, it's distracting. Like it just takes you out of everything and you also have no idea what you're looking at. Yeah. It's very odd. Um, so I, I, I want to talk for a second about Patricia Arquette, who I think we all love Patricia Arquette on this, on this part. No. Okay. Jessica Ellis, not a fan of Patricia Arquette. I, 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 I apologize. She seems no, like a lovely person. yourself. I, but she, to me, I don't know. Uh, here, I will say this honestly. I don't know if I don't like Patricia Arquette mm-hmm. or if I don't like the, the roles she's in. Because okay. a lot of them to me are, are very much like this in that she's this strange, oversexed, psychotic baby. Like... <laughs> She she feels like and? <laughs> she she often feels like she's in parts where she's crafted to be a male gaze fantasy. And it's it it bothers me like a, a lot of I, I, I don't know. I I mean, I'll say this about Patricia Arquette, which is that I first noticed her in True Romance, which admittedly checks perhaps some of the boxes that you're that you're talking about. Oh, without question. One of my favorite movies, though. No, I, I love it. And I love her in it. But I know what you're saying, Jessica. I, I, I also, I think she's very good in Ed Wood. She's not in it for very long, but she has a small part in that, which I think she's really great in. She's in 99. She's in Bringing Out the Dead as well, which I think she's very, very good in. Her and Nicolas Cage are acting together off of each other. And I think she's very good in that. Um, I, I, I do think that Lost Highway is a little bit of what you're maybe talking about too, Jessica. Where And, and she does have very similar hair in this movie, lots of wigs in this movie. There is that. Yes, the, the hair is absurd. You fell. I mean, she she fell into the to to the um the, the the bucket you're talking about, Jessica. Without question, she was very successful as Alabama, and I think people kind of got this idea that she was this you know high voiced, almost Jennifer Tilly esque sex baby. Um, that's she goes she away was. for a while too. Uh, Phil and I have both seen Nightmare on Elm Street three. Have you? <laughs> I have not seen that. No. Uh, She's that movie. Probably the best one. And she's so fucking good in it. She's like good. she, like it. It's it. It's a performance where you're like, all right, you know, uh, horror movie actor, horror movie actor, horror movie actor, fucking star. Like she's so good in it. And I mean, that's her yeah. first role. And also, you know, obviously, she's a Arquette. She was gonna get her shot yeah. no matter what. I but, do think um, I, I, yeah, I, I love her, and it is super weird. She won her Oscar for Boyhood, which is I mean, it's wonderful, but like a. Different kind of performance, you know? Well, it's, yeah. I do think that she she clearly turned a corner at a certain point when she was, I think, Jessica, pushing back against exactly what you're talking about, where she didn't want those roles anymore. And then Hollywood was like, okay, cool. 
and then they just like stop putting her in stuff. Um, well, no, well, Phil, you, when you say she disappeared for a while, she didn't disappear. She went to TV. She she oh, started right, Medium seasons. for like seven. She started yeah. six seasons of the, of Medium. You're right. You're right. And you know, she just did her thing. Like she just took yeah, a. You know, she's right. she, yeah. she's a. She, they did that. You know, she was yeah. like a B level, C level actress at that point, and they put her on the posters, and she probably made she made a you know boatload tens of, money, of millions of dollars, yeah. and. Uh, and and you know while she while, while at the same time literally shooting Boyhood every fucking year for <laughs> Once, two weeks yeah. Yeah. wins an Oscar and you know she's she's not in the I same think, situation but within two she years also, she's starring in CBS Cyber so yeah, what are you gonna do she's she so also, good in Danamora she's a really really she's good very actor. good there. she's a very she, and she's yeah. good in Severance and my my are. reaction may just be more to like the parts like this that are so reductive to her capabilities, like, and, and so just smashing her into a fantasy and a really weird fantasy, a really weird, like crazy sex baby. And that freaks me out. Crazy sex baby is, um, is not totally wrong. I I think that I I, want to kind of stand up just for a second um, for, for lost highway. Sex babies. Oh, sorry. No, not, no, no. No, because um, I do think that Lost Highway and listen, we can have a whole discussion about David Lynch's sort of feminine archetypes and what he's doing with sort of the the horror of, quite frankly, how men feel about women and and just, you know, fear and, and all these sort of things that he's kind of blending into all these different female characters. Um, but I do think she's good in that movie. It's not one of my favorite David hey, Lynch films, but she's David Lynch has never met a woman. But that's part of that's part of that's part of the nightmares about does. them. Yeah, I think I think we I think exist to torment him. I think he's per. No, I I I give him the benefit of the doubt that he has purposely avoided women as to not be you know kind of uh, influenced by what actual women are. When he writes his, you know, kind of Lynchian. It's sort of like he's only imagined an elephant. He's never actually seen one yeah. person. You know, yes. it's like when you when you when an actor is playing a famous person doesn't meet them. Like he just does that with all women, which I think is, you know, it's respectable. There's I think some, there's there's something some, interesting there's some about integrity to, to, like to David that, Lynch going his whole life never meeting a woman. Yeah. The, the idea of Lynch like blindfolded, just like touching a camel and just imagining what the animal is, and then, <laughs> then he writes it. But that's what, what he does with women. I, yeah, I mean, I think there's something to that. Yeah. So this is a perfect segue into oh, okay. uh, Dune, one of David Lynch's <laughs> great movies. That uh, that you two have a notorious disagreement on. All right, we'll get to we're it. We're not doing Dune. We're not doing. Dune. Well, not Lynch's Dune. I agree with I, that. No, we'll I'm, do... I'm aware. I, I know. <laughs> uh, I, I understand what you're trying to go ahead of us. Oh, no, we're I, not going down I, you, Phil, you don't have to respond. But I, as always, love hearing Jessica Ellis's take on uh, the sacred cows of the moment. I I I don't want to upset. Later, later, Phil. later. We'll okay. do it at the end. He won't get upset. He's a grown up. We'll do it at the end. You're anyway. Um, but about this film, I do think that Patricia Arquette is sort of understands the movie she wants to be in, and is trying to sort of shoehorn. Because I just I don't I don't fully. There's just stuff in this that I don't really understand why she does. Like there's very little motivation for this character, but I do think that that Patricia somehow found a way to lock into something. I don't know. I'm not saying it works. I think the movie would have worked a lot better if she had been the main character always. And it's like for the, until he gets killed, it's kind of Don Johnson's movie. 
And then after he gets killed, it's like everybody's movie, largely in terms of arc, it's Ellen DeGeneres trying to figure this out. It's never really Patricia Arquette's movie, and she's the only interesting character in it. So it's the... I agree. Yeah, it's the far it's the Fargo structure, right? And I was thinking, yeah. you know, as I was watching it, what a bad idea it is to bring your protagonist in halfway through the movie, except Fargo did it perfectly. And Psycho so, did it, yeah. Yeah. And so, well, kind of. I mean, it I'm not saying they didn't, but they didn't really bring in a protagonist unless you're saying like the detective is the protagonist at that point. No, it's the other woman. It's her cousin, yeah. It's her cousin, yeah, cousin. But um <laughs> You're right. I'm wrong. Uh, but uh, it's not a great plan if you're going to fuck it up. It's, it's, no, uh, no, it's, it's not a great plan in general, frankly. Correct. And unless you're a master, you're going to fall apart. I guess I got to rewatch Psycho for our hotel drafts. Huh? Yeah, you are. It's been a it's while. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> might, I, might, I, might have to take a he's, hike. He's up. reserving we'll judgment on Psycho. <laughs> Unbelievable. I think, uh, yeah, why not? Okay. I, I, I here's what I'll say about this. I I agree that the movie gets taken away from her about halfway through. Um, I as I was watching this film, I thought a lot about um, She Devil, a little bit. Great flick. Great, much better movie than this movie. Um, yeah. And uh, and Death Becomes Her a little bit as well. Like mm-hmm. I kind of wish that this film had just gone farther and just made her into a essentially a full-on cartoon character and just, you know, really owned Actual it. baby. <laughs> sure. Um, and owned that vibe. But instead, it, it, we all agree, like, it, it wants too much. It wants to have its cake and eat it too, and it's just kind of doing too many things. Um, there, I also, so the religious thing. Can we just talk about this for a quick second? Because I thought about, like, re- the Righteous Gemstones for a second as as with the religious stuff that was going on here. Obviously, Righteous Gemstones goes way crazier and bigger and much more comedic. But like, what did they, was this supposed to be some sort of a, a, a hit on, on the religious right in some way? I mean, I think the movie thinks it's about hypocrisy. Like that, that's what it would like to be about is, is all of these people about lying about their, their, who they are. Cause like the whole scandal that's going on on the side is like a politician who got caught with like a gay prostitute and like they're bearing. So it's like, I think they were going, you know, it's the nineties. So there was the rise of the religious right in the U S and I I think in a way they, they thought they were talking very intelligently about how hypocritical all of that was at the end. When we see the saddest, uh, presidential campaign going on outside the uh, Wilshire Beverly <laughs> on uh, Rodeo. Uh, was that supposed to be like, see, no one can, the right can't be taken down by this stuff. Or, or, I mean, I don't even know what I was supposed to, I, I, I don't, genuinely don't know what it's even saying. Well, about well I mean, it, politics. It, it lampshades it at the very end with that, that whole bit where the guy looks directly to camera, the oh detective and is like, see, it's nice when to see good people get nice things. And it's like, I, I don't think it's like saying that hypocrisy is good. I think it's just saying that it will always exist, that it's right. inescapable. The fourth wall break in, in your final moments of a, of a movie is never a good plan. It's a choice. It's a cho- and that, the Unless whole ending was reshot, right? The whole, the, like, yes. yeah. 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 She was supposed to, die. was supposed to like die. When she that, at that point, she was America's sweetheart, so no one wanted her to die. Oh no, she's yeah. America's uh, gay aunt. They did want her to die. Oh, right. Well, it spans a 
weird period because they shot in 96 before she was out. And then they reshot in 99 after she was out. Yes. And which makes all of like her character's homophobia really interesting. Really weird. And then her outfit at the end. Yeah, I don't I don't understand why she turned into Nancy Reagan at the end. That was a strange (laughs) choice. It's so they try. Okay, so they tried to kill her. And according to. yeah, so according to Ellen DeGeneres, the film originally ended with her character being killed. Test audiences reacted badly to this, so she was called back to reshoot the ending. So at the end of the movie, there's a moment where we see Sandra stabbing Ellen DeGeneres with a needle. I'm assuming that that was the original ending. And then instead it's turned into a dream. And we cut to a year later and they're BFFs on Rodeo Drive buying expensive stuff. Yeah, with the money. It's... Uh- First, they get the insurance money, $8 million of insurance money in cash, cash. in suitcases. That happens, right, Kenny? Everything about this movie just reminds me so much of film school and like the ideas that, no offense, young male writers would tend to bring that are like, this is about how there's no morality in society and how you can't trust anybody and it's going to be so fucking cool. And then you see the result and it's like, ah, you are 19. Yeah. And and I think that's, that's the, the plague we Phil and I are dealing with right now. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. A lot of people, it just feels like a lot of people's first scripts. It feels like that, like I'm going to go and take Hollywood by storm, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, film brat mentality and, uh, you know, they all don't turn into Quentin. They all don't, some of them turn into fucking the guy who did Boondock Saints. And this, like, feels Troy like... Duffy? Troy Duffy. This this feels... These movies were doing as bad as Boondock Saints is, and it's truly one of the worst films I've ever seen. It is. These are worse. Like, they are actually worse because mm-hmm. at least Boondock Saints is... Uh, consistent it's totally consistent and 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 fairly well designed in its uh misanthropy and uh in its you know kind of general diseased nature but i sure. get i get what they're going for like very much yeah, i just find more insidious i find it i find it abhorrent but i get it like they yeah. get the film these this is very i mean just to your point jessica like I, I, I hear what you're saying that like there is this idea underneath it all. We are going to, you know, pull back and show the rot of American society. But what they don't realize is they're just contributing to the rock of, of American yeah. society. Yeah. Uh, at least Boondock Saints, I think, is like, no, we're we're going to pull back the rot. But also like the way to, like, like it seems like the, the way to like actually, you know, uh, help is to kill everybody. Like, actually, like, indiscriminate killing is what this country needs. And, um, I mean, I think they're that, both that's a bolder. That's a bolder choice. Sure. It's a bolder choice than, like, no, I'm going to make a stupid movie that at the end of uh, at the end of it, the two women are going to get away. Uh, yeah, again, looking like Nancy, right? Looking at a couple of bargain basement first ladies. Um, but, I mean, I guess my question to you guys would also be, and I agree with you, Kenny. I, I think that there's something very bald about a Boondock Saints. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, we're just like, there's no subtlety. There's just like, this is, this is, we're just overtly saying this. It's and then something like this. I can't that feels believe I'm on here fucking like, defending Boondock Saints, which is like truly one of the worst fucking movies ever made. I'm but it's part, part of the reason it's one of the worst fucking movies ever made is because it's very fucking clear what it is. Part of yes. the reason is like and dumb people 
are just there like is, eating it up with a spoon. There is no there there is no like like ambiguity about what they're doing, and uh, I I hate it, but I get it. And like maybe it's much worse. Like these people who think who who think that they're part of the solution, but they're part of the problem. It drives me nuts. So here's a just a uh, it's it's a bit of a tangent, but it's a question for both of you. Uh, what are we supposed to take away from the sound of music stuff in this movie? Great question. What what, what was that about? Yeah, I couldn't figure that one out. I, I really couldn't. I, I I tried. I sat there for like ten minutes after the movie, being like, "The fuck was all that? Was that just the only rights they could get? With were they able to get the music for cheap? What? Like, I was thinking about like you know, Maria is a nun who then marries a baron. So like maybe it's tying into Patricia Arquette. Oh, interesting. But the thing is they don't, like other than that very first sequence where where Patricia Arquette is in the mansion that she's representing, like they don't really establish that she's broke and wants to be super wealthy at yeah. all. And that's why she ends up murdering two people, like three people. It, it Yeah, including Vincent Gallo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who is uncredited, weirdly. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I was actually going to say that we were coming from, or that we were climbing every mountain here in 2020. <laughs> that would have been good too. Uh, yeah, I, I, but I, uh, I don't know. It was so I genuinely weird. I mean, didn't the, get it. For people who haven't seen this movie, i.e. all of you, mm-hmm. there is a running <laughs> gag, I guess. A runner? Patricia Arquette's a yeah. runner is a big fan of the Sound of Music soundtrack and plays it a lot. And that's it. That's the list. It's like, I thought at the end when Ellen, it's like one of the pieces of evidence Ellen uses against her. I was like, that's what this was for? Like, it was just like a weird, but then what? It could have been anything. I... I honestly think it was just quirky for the sake of quirky. I think they were just like, wouldn't it be funny if we use Sound of Music in this? Like, it, it's so sort of, you know, the antithesis of the vibe of this movie. I, I genuinely, it just, it, it was pointless. It was there a lot too. There's at least four or five needles. She sings like whole verses of the songs. And, and I kept wondering if her hair was like it was because it's supposed to look like Maria's hair. That's not she what has, hair looks like. Well, she has a blonde page boy in Sound of Music. Like, she has short blonde hair. Yeah, like, I, I, it didn't make me a, think of that. This, this is a serious question. Know. This is a serious question. Mm-hmm. I might wind up with some egg on my face. Have you ever met a person in, your, in real life who has hair like that? No. 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 But that's it's only in movies. It's only in movies. Do people have hair like that? Yeah. And whether that was a wig or not, that was not uh, canonically a wig within the context of that film. Correct. That was supposed to be this person's choice. I agree. And I cannot get down with that choice. It's it's funny because when you first see her hair, I was like, oh, well, that's got to be a wig, right? And then she proceeds to wear like three <laughs> other wigs in the movie. And I was just like, what the fuck is happening here? I mean, it's like... A lot of, lot of wigs in these movies we've been doing too, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> so many wigs in Eye of the Beholder, Jessica. You have yeah. no idea. But, She's a but I do maker. think it made me think of um, Pulp Fiction as well because that's the the... Mia's yes. hair yes. until True. you see later that that I think you don't ever see her without that hair, but you see her with like a like a shower cap sort of situation or something on her head, which I've always deduced that her hair is not that that might actually be a wig. 
but it doesn't matter. Point I is, I thought it was her hair. I guess it never bothered me. Part of the reason it didn't bother me was because I never thought Pulp Fiction took place in our in our. Well, that reality. yeah, it's a whole other reality. Yeah. So you know, different things fucking happen in Pulp Fiction. This felt like it took place in our reality. Well, since we're talking about hair and wigs, we got to talk about Ellen DeGeneres' wig in this movie because it is one of the worst wigs I've ever seen, and I don't know why she even has it. What's wrong with Ellen's hair? <laughs> Yeah, like that's, I, I, that's a good question. I don't, it's, I watched the, it's, it is a giant, like a helmet, almost a mullet of, of sort of shitty kind of uh, brown kind of whatever. Maybe they felt like her actual hair being a blonde made her less sort of. She did have blonde short hair. So, you know, yeah. so maybe they were just like, we need her to have, I don't know, but it is fucking brutal. She, so. Let's talk about Ellen for a quick second here, Kenny, because this is our last Ellen DeGeneres film of 1999. Last of three. Last of three. Wow. Um, the first one we did, obviously, is the best. Ed TV Ed is TV. her best performance of 1999. And she was great, and that's a perfect right? role for her in 99 exactly. or today. I, I, it, it's absolutely perfect. Then we have The Love Letter, which is not. <laughs> uh, not great, but definitely better, better than, this. than this. She's out to sea on this one. I, I'm, 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 this is not to, not to throw shade at your friend Roland, but no, I do okay. feel like best friend. I know he's your best friend. Um, but I do feel like he didn't really direct these actors, or if he did, the direction was more <laughs> like just everything needed to be dialed up. And she is genuinely, Ellen can usually find a punchline. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? But in this, she's just like, what are you doing, Ellen? I was trying to, like, think who might be the better choice for this role. Because, Anyone. Well, her... You. Thank you. I appreciate that. Her... <laughs> I hate the way it's written, though. These jokes I are not too. jokes. These I, insults are not insults. They are just words mashed together that sound gross. And who can deliver stuff like that? The only person I could think of who could do this yes. in a way that would be believable and maybe possibly funny is Wanda Sykes. Um, or sure. like the sure. only real one who I think can kind of bring that like energy and can make like a stupid, like mm-hmm. she doesn't, in she does it in um, the other, two. in the other two all the time. Yes. There's so That's a great many, call. there are so many stupid, like, lines or put downs in 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 that show that she's able to make work through her delivery and her presence and maybe and, and there might be a, a a sense of francis mcdormand s catharsis sure. to have sure. a character like that solve the crime and win the day like i mean i think in fargo in part they established that by by her being pregnant um, but you know, Wanda Sykes, I think everybody kind of, I think she would make a really good cop actually. Cause I think there's a sense that she's the smartest person in the room, mm-hmm. but is not taken seriously because perhaps her gender, perhaps her race, perhaps her stature, perhaps the fact that she's, uh, gay, mm-hmm. but still like she always controls every room she's in. I think there would be a certain catharsis to have her go in and pick this apart and figure it out. You know, so, I, I know she was a stand-up at this point. I don't think she was a established actor at this mm-hmm. point, but that kind of person would be a lot of fun. You know, I, I have to say, and this doesn't make sense time-wise, and I certainly don't mean to uh, 
you know, to engender or make this racial. But Tiffany Haddish is another person that I thought of who was just on the after party and played a police officer um, and was great. Like I could see her making oh. something out of this too. Um, I mean, the, yeah, we're just going to throw black comedians out there. Uh, <laughs> Whoopi does something like this in the sure. player and it's fucking awesome. Sure. Sure. So there, you know, I, I there's, think there's just something about Ellen's delivery. Although Jessica said before we got on mic, and I think that this, there might be some truth to this, that this might be closer to Ellen's actual personality than, than we'd like to believe. Did you? Does there anyone that jumped out at you, Jessica, that that you would think for this? I mean, I was just so baffled by this entire segment that just seemed <laughs> to be in a completely different. Not just movie, but movie universe. Like it yeah. did not approach the the same world as the rest of the movie. That I, I I don't know. I I honestly, in some ways, enjoyed this part more than the rest of the movie. Like I would have liked right. to see what movie Ellen thought she was in because yes. it wasn't this one. So it could have been better because it's not like there's a lot of room under it. But yeah, it's yeah. it's at least satisfying procedurally do you know what i mean like at least you feel like you're on solid ground she honestly like she's not great in this this role and the role is insane but like (laughs) that of of the three main actors performances in this she bothered me the least like i I was kind of like at least i understand what this character is supposed to be like she's a mean you know wisecracking detective sick of her beat i get that like that makes sense to me i and i thought like okay that one had a character description i'm still confused about the other two but yeah no i don't can't think of an actor per se that jumps jumps out of me i think wanda sykes was, is a really good pick i do too the the other thing about this and again fargo is the counterpoint so you can do this and you can do it really well <laughs> but we are ahead of her the entire film time. yeah so nothing that she's uncovering really is surprising. So I guess, you know, Fargo is not a detective story, really. It's Francis Dorbit is catching up to where we are. Mm-hmm. And the reason it sings is because these characters are so specific and wonderful and interesting. And you like you have all of these moments between her and William H. Macy, between her and other characters in this film where you know the piece of information she needs to get. You mm-hmm think she might know the piece of information she needs to get. And the way she gets these, piece, these pieces of information is kind of this thrilling thing. Um, this is not that. This is like, that's part of why Fargo is the best movie ever made because it, it under, it, 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 uh, and I, Phil and I both think it's the best movie ever made. Go, so you're outnumbered. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. Because, no, I love Fargo. I don't think it's the best movie ever made, but I love Fargo. Uh, it's it's our favorite movie. Maybe not the best ever made. Uh, obviously, it is it's like the best movie ever made. Um, but uh, Field of Dreams is that what you said is the best movie ever made. Field of movie, Field of Dreams is my favorite movie ever made. Yeah. It uh, it plays with and undercuts your expectations of a detective story at every at every mm-hmm. moment uh, in a way that's satisfying and um, and not uh, you know unsatisfying, I guess. I, what do you like more, Jessica? Field of Dreams or Fargo? Because I know Field of Dreams. I love Field of Dreams. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I'm a I'm a fucking sap at the bottom of it. So like, if yeah. you give me a James Horner score and, and or no James Newton Howard, I can't remember. I think James Newton Howard. Right. James Newton. Yeah. yeah, and Daddy Issues and James Earl Jones. Like I'm done. That's right. yeah. I will I will sob for days. 
I, I want to talk for a quick second because it's part of this storyline um, about Ray McKinnon, who plays Ellen's partner, Rollins, in this film. Named after, it obviously, is. Kenny named his, chi- his child. My after name, him. I named my son after him. That's yeah, it. obviously. Uh, <laughs> um, Ray McKinnon is one of those guys that's been in a million things because he's so, like, he looks like kind of nobody else. Got he kind of face. looks like you would imagine Ichabod Crane if he was a human being. Like, if he was. Oh, a, sure. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, the Disney Ichabod Crane, that is. Um, he's, he's in uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou in 2000. Um, I always remember him as uh, the um, the reverend in Deadwood, um, who, who uh, just a heartbreaking role, an unbelievably great performance of this reverend who gets a, a brain tumor um, and is sort of losing his his faculties. But um, he's good in this movie. I kind of liked him in this movie because I think he understood what his role was, um, and I appreciated. I mean, I know what they were going for with the kind of playing him playing off of Ellen DeGeneres. She doesn't give him anything to work with, but I think that he does the best he can under the circumstances. He yeah, he was the good. closest to a Coen Brothers character. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Absolutely. Um, he's not quite there. No. The address to the camera at the end is feels very, you know, Sam Elliott in uh in Big Lebowski. The the room thing. Too. The Rube right off, you know, right, right from, from the from Utah coming to, I think they were LA. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, uh, that seems like a very Coen Brothers type thing, except to their enormous credit, they never play those people as fucking virtuous. And they never play those people as oracles. And this guy is played as a virtuous oracle. And, you know, boo to that. Like, I couldn't agree more. I also just, you know, it's interesting. This movie we mentioned earlier, Don Johnson's death looked really good. It was well executed. But then we've got this terrible motorbike crash. And I was just like, what is this? Like the geography of it was weird. It didn't even look like you could die from that crash. It just looked like they stumbled. (laughs) At one point, like he literally drives off the road onto like a side path and the car goes past him. And instead of like, turning around or staying there, he gets back on the road next to the car. Yeah. It's just a, it's a bad car chase. It's a bad car crash. Um, I don't believe for us, like they did something. It's a super cheap out thing, right? Where it's like, you see the motorbike kind of go off the cliff. It kind of rolls in the dust a little bit. Then you cut to a shot of Patricia Arquette and then just like fire lighting that makes it look like it's exploded. And then we're just led to believe that these people got cooked um, by a motorbike crash, which, by the way, doesn't have that big an explosion and certainly wouldn't, you know, burn you within. Uh, my headset and- died. I got to go. Okay. My AirPods. Okay. okay. Yeah, we'll be here. Will you mark this, Will? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. 
Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. I always love talking to Will like he's God. It's <laughs> the disembodied, disembodied voice of Will. Oh my God, this movie. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, so, uh, do you want to come on for Up? <gasps> yeah. For 2009? I would love to. Okay. That would be exciting. And you can you can have Up. Okay. Like it's the least we can Give do. me, yeah, I know. I, I nearly texted you after that was over. I was like, Ven me, Venmo me $4 right now. <laughs> you had to rent it too, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like there yeah. are so many good and important movies I haven't seen, but I, I have seen this movie. Don't even get me started. That's the thing that like, that is the, the, the I guess that is the rub of doing a podcast like this is that you yeah, know, I don't know how you guys movies. survive. I, I just can't watch terrible movies. Like I can't make myself do it. I don't know how you do it. It's I'll say this. Part of it is because I know that we're very lucky to get great guests that the conversation will always be good, right? Like at a certain point, one of two things will happen. Either A, a great conversation will manifest about said movie or B, a great conversation will manifest <laughs> that has nothing to do with this movie and thus we're fine with it. But, um, but I agree with you. It, it's, it's tough. Um, but yeah. What's tough? Podcasting? Watching bad movies? Yeah, it stinks. <laughs> as long as you guys are making the big bucks. I was just saying to Jessica, though, because she has to come on for Up. So I figure we'll do Up with Jessica for 2009. Did you hear that, Kenny? Great. It's great. a great movie. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the least we can do is, is, uh, is give Jessica a good one. I'm going to cry through a lot of it. I want you to know that. Like, it's I mean, gonna... If you don't cry at the opening of Up, you are broken. Yeah. You made your own bed when you picked Anna and the King. Yeah. <laughs> that... That it's amazing that Anna and the King is trending towards the top of movies. Like yeah. I've got to say, it's Sex Lies and Videotape, a large drop. Do Anna think- and the King, Thirteenth Floor. Hold on, now that you say it, I need to look up uh, the movies you've been on for because uh, I'm trying. I want I-, I want you to rank them. Well, that's my question. Like this so and you're Entrapment. In the five Timers Club now. Yeah. So okay, hold I on. Actually, you're been more because you've been. You've been on also, you also came on uh, on the West Wing. Yeah, I went on the West Wing one too. She's so it's been Anna and the King on, and Trapman well, 13th floor. It's Anna and the King and Trapman 13th floor. And, and Sex Lives Videotape. And Goodbye Lover. So is Anna and the King number two? Anna and the King is definitely number two. There's no question. Like, no, I think 13th floor is number two. 13th floor is a solid three at this point. Like, I, it's in the middle. Uh, it's, it's certainly better than this. I love that. So th- this person, God bless this person who does our um, our fandom website because they have all this information. John Barnhill. Oh, God, you have God. a fandom website? It's the greatest thing ever. But um, yes. Jessica, you gave it a 49. 13th floor. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a beautiful... On 13th floor? Oh, yeah. Yes. I, I admire 
the scope, like I admired the ambition of it. Like I liked the big swing of the topic and trying to think about that, sure. that kind of movie. Just unfortunately it was very I just think bad. It's interesting because you gave, you gave Anna and the King of 40. So you okay, well, that was, think that, that was my first time. I was trying to be cool. I didn't know <laughs> so, you guys yet. <laughs> but I know I appreciate that. I'm just, so now looking back, and in the king. Oh my god! He sorcery. he added. Yeah. He added. Do you see this? He added Ebert. Yes. Rotten Tomatoes and Rotten Tomatoes god audience. It's amazing. I am in love with you. This guy is <laughs> wow. our hero. He also has. If you go to this, I'll send it to you, Jessica. He has pull quotes from oh, the no. episode. Yes, I know. And he, and he has good pull quotes. They're, they're it's funny. good. Yeah. Kid, I'm telling you, man. I don't want this guy looking into my background. I'm now worried about what's you on. You have there. your own. You have your own page too. Oh God, help me! Um, it's a good page. You look good. You got. <laughs> you know. You, you. 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 It's. It's. It's great. I'm sending it to you right now, Jessica. All right. I'm excited. Um, but um, okay, let's get back on track. Um, one moment. There, I just sent it to you. Um, okay, so goodbye, lover. We're talking about how bad the crash was. Um, so. We're, we're pretty much at the end of, of the movie itself. So I just want to ask, did you guys see the Ellen twist coming? No. So you didn't think she was going to turn, Kenny, did you? Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say I did because <laughs> it's silly, but I'm also not going to say it's one of those twists where it felt like, oh my goodness. It's not earned. Just, yeah. No, at that, at that point, you're just going, okay, sure. Yeah, sure. It felt <laughs> like, I I don't know. It, to be honest, it felt kind of appropriate at the time. It felt sure. like that's what the way this movie was trending. I don't think you were supposed to think this was a virtuous character. I think you were supposed to like her, and I think you were supposed to think that money was, you know, Yep, the best thing in the world. I agree. So you know, to the to the to the victors go the spoils type thing, and I think that your happy ending was you know the the version of Thelma and Louise where they don't go off the cliff, I guess, where mm-hmm. they you know drive off into the L.A. sunset with you know their uh, their insurance money and et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, perhaps <laughs> look, the, the, perhaps if you had if you had conceived of the idea as these two women eventually ending this movie together. Yes. And you seeded it with lesbian undertones throughout. Mm-hmm. Then that might've been a really cool, satisfying ending. Right. Like I don't, I'm not interested particularly in the ending where they were, you know, Confederates from the jump. Like that's sure. That's a different movie. But at some point, if, 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 if they were able to find soulmates in each other in a bound kind of way, then it might have been cool, but that's not what we got. We got two girlfriends who like to dress in, you know, pantsuits. Well, to that end, there's a part. I agree with you, Kenny. To See, that there's end, a lesbian undertone for you. There's two there's, things that well, you the said irony that are, is that we already there are no lesbian undertones. No, nothing. Just lesbian overtones. Yeah. <laughs> so I all you like two points that I that, that I think are really interesting. The first is. So as we mentioned earlier, the original ending of this film is that she kills uh, Ellen DeGeneres' character and she takes off with the money and, you know, that's the end of the film. Um, this version, had this movie been about these two parallel tracks of people, of like the Patricia Arquette character, the Ellen DeGeneres character, and they're both kind of, you know, um, 
barreling towards each other and that they both kind of dovetail and then they both decide to either work together at the end and they both, you know, whether they find love or not, who knows? That's an interesting, that's more interesting than what we got. And it feels like they were backed into that ending that sort of kind of feels intentional, but but also doesn't at the same time. Like I, I there's a part of me, Kenny, too, and I agree with what you're saying, which is that if that had been the goal all along, then perhaps there's a way to make it feel organic. But because it wasn't, it just feels like a weird left turn at the end. Like, I don't know that I prefer the version where Ellen is killed, but it certainly feels like it's the one that this movie was built on. At that point, we're out anyway. Like, there's, there's, there, you know, there's no way to save this movie. At, yeah. At the end, you know, short of short of an entire, I mean, you know, you could always save every movie by having it be yes. one of the more insignificant characters' dream. So if you have, <laughs> if you have some insignificant character wake up at the end, yeah, and go like, oh, that was weird, that was crazy, then, then the movie's always saved. But you know, no one, no one ever does it. <laughs> As you know, um, as as I may have mentioned on this podcast before, it wasn't my pitch. It was a different person's pitch, but it was the best pitch. I will I won't claim credit, nor will I tell say whose pitch it is, because I think maybe he can get in trouble for even doing this. But there was a wonderful pitch for the end of Entourage mm. that Turtle wakes up in a bar, no, no, in a in a pizza shop in Queens, and he goes, oh, "That was weird," and it was just a weed nap the entire show. And uh, Vinny's not even his friend. He's just on a poster for a movie. And Kevin runs the Sabaros. It was going to be a Sabaros. Kevin Connolly runs the Sabaros. Donnelly, uh, uh, drama was his friend. And Ari was a raving lunatic homeless guy who hangs out on the corner. And that would have been the end of the show. And I think uh, I think it would have been, you know, it would have rivaled St. Elsewhere in Newhart. But nope. You know, it's funny. I I know full well why the powers that be at that you know what I mean? Could never do it because I can tell it, you it, why we never pitched it. But <laughs> <laughs> well, because be, had I we had that, pitched it, they would have done it. But you know. it's funny because you know when you look at the annals of television that you know you're you're saying elsewhere is your even Thirty Rock to some degree um, that the fans feel like they got thumbed in the eye by the writers who think that they're so much smarter and that it, it, it in some way or another delegitimizes the love they had for these characters over the preceding episodes. I don't subscribe to that notion, but I, I can understand someone who intellectually can't really wrestle with why they love these characters and how much they mean to them. So there's that whole thing mixed into it. It's just, it's, it's tough. I'm being honest 15 years removed now, it would have been bad. <laughs> like it, it, it would have really, it would have really pissed people off and been really unfair. Like the show for better or worse yeah. has people who genuinely care about it. Yeah. And that would have been a real fuck you, but uh, it would have been a really great. Interesting. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Uh, sort of uh, not like this movie, but um, let's rate this because Jessica, I want to get your thoughts on what we're covering uh, next week. Um, I never saw this film in 99 coming into this podcast. Um, I, I was at a 55 actually, which is in hindsight. Now that we've been through this, the ringer together, I'm now lower. Um, this movie doesn't deserve to be over 50. Uh, I'm, I'm at a 42 now. I, I think that this movie is sort of, um, it just never fully gets it doesn't fully get its arms around what it wants to be. Um, it might be too generous. I guess I just, I, I kind of watched it 
it's funny. As I asked you at the top of this episode, Jessica, do you miss this kind of movie? <laughs> and your answer, understandably, was no. Um, and that's that's completely fair. Um, I kind of do. I miss the mid-budget Warner Brothers genre thing that might not totally work, but you know, but they were able to bring a bunch of people together and they gave them, you know, perhaps too much money to make a, a crime thriller drama thing. Um, I wish we had more of those. Um, so I watched this kind of a little bit reminiscing a little about that kind of thing that we don't really have anymore. Um, but that's where I'm at. I'm at a 42. What about you, Kenny? I was at a 29 before. I'm going to stick at the 29. Um, it stinks. But like, it doesn't stink nearly as much as some of the more self-serious ones that are just like plotting and exhausting. Like it's 29 is not a good score. 29 is, is, is you know, I, I mean, I literally got, I literally, I wrote, I don't know 29 question mark <laughs> because it's like, I don't know, 29, like it's, it was bad, but it was silly and it was not the worst movie we've done, but all of these, all these overmatched crime thriller movies that also do seem to like want to still keep the erotic thriller alive are total fucking messes. And, you know, we're trying to figure out why this, why this landed on us like an avalanche of, you know, body parts and, you know, syringes and handguns. And, uh, and it's just a coincidence, Phil. It's not like we looked at these and we're like, we're, it's just, just a coincidence. It's not yeah. like we're like, oh, we hate these kinds of movies. We had no idea what these movies were about. <laughs> yeah. I didn't Goodbye know what this Lover. film was about. Yeah, Goodbye, Lover. I thought, I thought I would have assumed it was like some kind of, I would have assumed it was some kind of fucking period piece. Because who says goodbye, Lover? <laughs> so I, uh, there we are, you know? Jessica, where are you? Well, first of all, to, backing up to that original question, if you are saying, do I wish there were more mid-budget no, no, dra- know, genre you, movies? Do. Yes, I do. But <laughs> this is a perversion of all, I, all that is I cinema. I, I didn't mean to put words in your mouth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, I don't think there is a single redeemable thing about this movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I think the script is bad. I, I think the, the cinematography is, is incomprehensible. The message is terrible. The acting is generally bad. The costuming is terrifying. Like, and the sex scenes are bad. Like, I can forgive a movie so yeah. much if there's yeah. good sex scenes. These, not even a good sex scene. No, it's just, and the, the, the olive, I don't even want to know what was going on with those in that scene. But, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. All so fair I, I would give this a 12. Solid on well, both. That's, where we, that's where we landed on Entrapment too. Well, I had not. I I didn't see it. I didn't see it in '99. I just meant before the podcast, after the podcast. You were at a twelve before and a twelve now. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. No, my views. You have not swayed me to give this movie yeah. more credit. <laughs> you haven't gotten him up to a four. Got her up to a forty-two. Just I want to real fast before we go to next week's. Uh, yeah. Read uh, your pull quote. You have several on our. Oh God. From. Um, from Anna and the King, but you you have at least four. You were you were you were four. You were very quotable that episode. But the one I'm going to read, I love, is it's really hard to build a romance with somebody who has sixty wives. That's a very important screenwriting lesson this movie teaches teaches you. It so, I I stand by this. You were you were so on that episode. He you, seems like he episode. should have his needs met. I don't. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't think he needs an English teacher as a wife. 
Uh, all right. So what are we doing next great. week, Phil? Next week, we are doing Mansfield Park with uh, Carrie Whitmer. Um, are you a Jane Austen? Child? I am. Yeah, very much. Um, have you seen Mansfield yes. Park? Yes. Yeah, I saw it when it came out. Yeah. Do you have thoughts on it? It's boring. It's really <laughs> yeah, it's boring. Pretty, it's pretty boring. Uh, Mansfield Park is such a hard book. It, it is probably, I don't know why we keep doing it because every adaptation of it is boring. It's a very episodic story and it works as a novel, but like stakes never go up. It, no. Like it's just <laughs> dull and it sucks. I love Joss. It, there's, there's good performances in it. I love Austin movies. I, I badly have wanted to do an insane Northanger Abbey adaptation for years uh, and cool. my reps won't let me, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they will. Yeah. but uh, no, it's, I remember it being very, very dull. It it is dull. It's interest. It's it's it is dull. Period. But I do think that it also has like some interesting kind of metatextual stuff going on in it because of the way that the filmmaker, writer, director used some of Jane's actual letters and her biographical information and folded that into this story that gave it a a layer of something. Um, the casting's a little strange too. Um, but, but since you're such an Austin uh, aficionado, got to ask you, do you have a favorite Jane Austen adaptation? Uh, honestly, this is an annoying answer. My favorite adaptation that has ever done was the early 1980s version of Pride and Prejudice, the TV version. That's Um, like a miniseries, right? Yeah. It's it's a six part miniseries. It's the, it's pre-Firth. It's, uh, the, the actor that's Darcy is this great, extremely statuesque looking man named David Rintoul. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's the closest to the book. It's really, really funny, but it's the one I grew up on. Like we taped it off of PBS when I was, you know, before I was born, I think it came out in like 80. Do you Um, have a movie that you like perhaps? It came out, it came out in 1980. Yeah. Yeah. Um, movie. I, I like Sense and Sensibility. I had not visited Sense and Sensibility, Emma Thompson's Sense and Sensibility for an, an Ang Lee ever. For some reason, I just, I didn't, that wasn't my favorite of the books. Um, and I saw the movie, I think during the pandemic and it's really charming. It's, it's really, really well cast. It's bright and funny. Um, I haven't liked any of the movie Pride and Prejudices at all. Interesting. Because I think they're just too abrupt. The, the Joe Wright one. But. They certainly do. Um <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, you know what God, else, you know what my else friends are going to kill me. Mm. People love uh, Dune. Oh, fuck me. All right, two minutes. Listen, two I minutes, didn't. Two minutes, I'm going to let you go. I didn't hate Dune. It was it was the first, a friend of mine very it, generously no. rented the theater and we saw it with like six people. It was the first movie back I had seen since the pandemic. Um, it was very beautiful. Uh, I have a problem with all of that director's stuff, which is that I find it very cold uh, and intellectualized and it, it never emotionally captivates me. And and there were just really, really long shots of spaceships taking off and landing far too many. There were at least that, five. Kenny, are you, are you getting this? <laughs> Am I getting I it? You, okay. I could tell if you were listening. No, no, I'm getting, I'm, I'm looking up Villeneuve's filmography to, to check her on everything being cold. Uh, because I mean, his I'm, movies are, I mean, I think that Prisoners is a very good movie, but yes, admittedly, dark subject matter. Um, you know, I think Blade that Runner, I think I, that his shit is generally keeps you at arm's length. I do agree with it. I do agree with you. Uh, the only one I, you know, I love Arrival. 
Arrival, see, Arrival is an interesting one. It's it's one of my, I read it um, because I do product placement coverage. I read the script uh, right before it went into production and it was my favorite script I had ever read. It it is such a brilliant script. And the movie was a step down from that for me. I thought it was, it was not a great adaptation of a, of a damn near perfect script. I think that's, yeah, I I, I think that is, uh, look, I didn't read, I didn't read the script, but I a hundred percent see what you're saying or what, you know, I think you're saying because, you know, I was taken by the emotion of that movie Mm-hmm. But the implied emotion is so powerful that that maybe there's a different version, or even just a version on the page where the implied emotion or the or the emotion um, is kind of its main feature, as opposed to this movie where the visuals seem like they have equal weight to this emotion, or maybe lesser in your opinion, however you stand. But yeah, no, I thought I thought that movie was so emotionally overpowering in a way that I kind of really wanted and needed at the moment. Um, but it doesn't feel like there's other movies that are just, you know, gorgeous for the sake of gorgeousness. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I mean, listen, I can't dispute what you're saying, Jessica, right? Like either it connects with you or it doesn't. Yeah. Right? Like that's, that's a, that's a, that's a personal taste thing. And I do think that, that Villeneuve is a specific filmmaker. Um, and I think that I personally you know, specifically with Dune and, and Blade Runner 2049, I don't know that there's anyone right now that's making sci-fi movies on that level of scope. Like, it is just such an all-consuming thing to sit in the theater. To see that in IMAX, to see Dune in IMAX was a was a really just breathtaking technical feat that I really felt... Um, of a world that I knew nothing about, right? Like I had seen Blade Runner before. I didn't read a Dune book. I don't know shit about Dune. I mean, I'd seen the Lynch film when I was a kid, but I didn't really remember it. So I just felt like I was just immersed in a world I'd never seen before. And I found that really thrilling. Um, and and I I do understand that like, it's also a very intellectual source material, right? Like this is all yeah. very kind of, cold and cerebral and weird. Um, but, you know, I thought that Rebecca Ferguson in particular was really, really good in it. She was great. Really pulled me into like the emotions of this woman that's torn between all these things. I don't need to defend Dune, but I'm just saying that like, <laughs> I, I understand your, your, I get it. I was of- only ribbing you about it on Twitter I, because I you ranked it above West Side Story and you know my feelings I on know. West Side Story. That Man, was, you, you made it's not, Dune mistake. is not bad, but. I smelt conflict. And I had That's to bring it to the pod. That's what, um, well, Kenny, you've seen West Side Story, right, Kenny? No. Yeah, I'm going to watch Kenny. one. I'm going to watch either West Side Story or Coda tonight with my family. So we have to decide. Um, I think Coda is the easier sell. And uh, I need to watch West Side Story. I need to watch Dune. Uh, uh, I've seen, I, mean, I haven't seen Nightmare Alley and I haven't seen Drive My, Drive my Car. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to catch up by Sunday. No, I'll say this. And I'm curious, Jessica, have you seen Coda? I have not seen Coda. I haven't seen Coda. And I, there's one other. And I haven't seen Drive My Car. Those are the only two best picture ones I've missed. You know, I, I to your point, Kenny, I think Coda is the easier sell. It's A, it's the shorter movie. Um, and and B, it's just, it's it's a straight up family. It's a, it's, it is a lovely movie. And it's unfortunate that it's, it's, it's 
got the ire of so many people that feel as though it it's undeserving. Um, and listen, if I Kenny and I have talked about this a little bit, you know, there oh, I haven't seen this, Belfast either. I haven't seen anything. Okay. Um, there's this echelon of like your King speeches and your uh, movies that have won that have beaten films that others think are more deserving, right? And I think that Kodo would, in my humble opinion, be better served by being the la-la land in this equation and just taking all the adulation. Apple can take all this great PR. They can win Best Supporting Actor, maybe even win Adapted Screenplay. They look like big winners and not be the movie that everyone's like, that's the movie that beat Power of the Dog. I actually disagree with you on this one, Phil. Okay. As you know. Because La La Land was uh, very different. La La Land was the anointed front runner all year, sure. and felt like it was beating uh, an all-time kind of classic that was also a paradigm-changing type film. And the run-up sure. on Twitter to that was like, I remember who it was. I don't remember who it was. It might have been Adam McKay, but someone was like, you know, basically like, you have a chance to do something great here vote for Moonlight, right? And I think there was this idea. It was like, this is a moment, right? La La Land is going to be, you know, is going to be fine. Do something special here. Coda is the Moonlight right now. Now, maybe not right now. Maybe this moment, Coda might be edging it out. But for for months and months and months, you and I, you and I have been having conversations of like, it seems to power the dog. Seems like every challenge of the power of the dog, like sniffs and then falls back, sniffs and then falls back. Um, my feeling on Coda is if Coda doesn't win, it goes the way of Cider House rules. No one remembers it. Um, Coda is just, just becomes a movie no one ever really gives a shit about. If it wins, at least it has best picture in its, you know, back pocket the way the King's Speech does. Because if the King's Speech doesn't win, no one ever talks about it. Now it wins. People talk about it. And I even think some people talk about it favorably when you compare it to the other miserable winners like Brash and Green Book. So I think that Coda is not quite as ill-placed as you do in a, in a scenario I think where it wins. if Coda wins, it's The Artist, a movie that no one remembers won Best Picture. I think that it's just... And if Coda doesn't win, it's a movie no one remembers, period. Again, I, I, listen, I don't know that that's entirely true. People, I mean, listen, Saturday Horse Rules won Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Supporting Actor. Um, People don't fucking ever talk. We do a podcast on about it. nine and nobody I'm talks not, about I'm it. not defending Saturday Horse Rules here. And I'm, my point more than anything, and I don't mean to make the direct comparison to La La Land and Moonlight. I'm just speaking to the fact that like, I personally think that if Coda wins, yes, you're right, Kenny. It'll be the winner of Best Picture, so it'll always be known as the winner of Best Picture. Um, but I just don't. I'd be. I'm curious to hear what you both think of it because I do think that like it doesn't deserve to be shit on necessarily. It's just not a particularly complex as, movie either. As usual, it doesn't matter what I think of it. Um, I, I don't be, think that that's true, but sure. No, it is because I. You know, this is just about narrative. It has nothing to do with my own personal feelings, but. I also think Power of the Dog isn't quite Brokeback Mountain in terms of like Crash beat Brokeback Mountain. And I, it's Power of the Dog. And, and like I said to you, Power of the Dog's a forever movie. Power, and Joe Reed said this a few days ago on Twitter too. It's place in history is secure. People are going to study that movie. People are going to love that movie forever. But I don't think people feel the same way about it that they did about Brokeback. That's my, my feeling. Well, 
I mean, listen, you put putting Jane Campion next to Ang Lee. Ang Lee is a, is a two? Op- very different filmmakers. Ang Lee's an open hearted, you know what I mean? Like just there, there's a, there's, I, I understand matter. what you're saying. No, it does in the sense of, I think Brokeback Mountain is beloved for a myriad of reasons, but one of them is because that movie is a beautiful, open hearted love story. And Power of the Dog is a very introverted, and again, this is not a knock on Power of the Dog, but like it's okay. an alienating movie in a different I, I understand all the knocks against Power of the Dog as to why it might not get there. I just read today, and I don't know if you read it, Kenny, Joe Adalian's article that he did about the Oscars on his newsletter. Um, mm-hmm. But he had a really interesting... This will be the last thing, Jessica, that we talk about before we leave you. Uh, but I'll just say this. He talked about whether or not if Netflix doesn't get Best Picture with Power of the Dog, is this the end of giving blank checks to auteur filmmakers to try to win Academy Awards. Oh, I did do they, read that, yes. Do we get? Do they get to a place where, like, this isn't fucking working. We're not winning Best Picture. We're getting a bunch of nominations, and that's all fine and good, but we're not getting the big fucking award, so enough of this shit. And they just funnel this money towards more, you know, popular Red Notice 15 or whatever. Um, that would be a bummer. I would hate to see that happen because I do think that Netflix is one of one of the few places that auteurs can go to legitimately get giant sums of cash to make their movies. And we should embrace that. Jessica, what do you think about that? I think West Side Story should win. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with you either. I loved West Side Story, um, but it's 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 interesting. No, I, I, that's that's a really interesting part of it that I hadn't thought about is that it's a Netflix movie. And what, do, what does that mean? Power of the Dog was... A really interesting movie. It is definitely not my favorite movie of the year. I had some issues with it, but at the same time, I think Cumberbatch was amazing. I think the performances were amazing. Um, you know, the the second half of the movie I adored. Um, it was it was long for me in the first half, but like, yeah, I don't know. This is a weird Oscar year. It, it's it's a very strange group of. Com- there are no, I don't think, flawless movies in this entire thing, except West Side Story, um, which I'm still mad That's about for, for several, I, yeah, but it, it, it's not going to win. Like, it's almost like it's, it it's considered like a gimme. Like, yeah, Steven Spielberg's going to make a good movie. We're, we don't have to give him an Oscar for that. Like, or, or I don't know. I have not understood this entire year the amount of people that want to hate that movie for no reason that I can understand. But I don't. I, I as as someone who's fairly neutral on this again, haven't seen it. Um, have seen the original, and uh, as someone who is fairly neutral, I don't think it has. I don't think there's quite the the legion of haters that its defenders seem to think it has. I think that I think there's a lot of straw men going on over here. I do like. I mean, I. As I said last night, Phil, I, I worship at the altar of, of Mark Harris, who is, you know, pretty bought into this movie. Um, Perhaps bias. Yes, a little bias. And he, <laughs> his husband wrote it. Oh, oh, right, 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 right. Of course. Yes. Uh, and so he <laughs> seems to be chronicling the hate, yet he often chronicles it with uh, just straw men tweets and not quote tweets. I don't know who these people are. Who are like rooting against it. And I look at it by like, I remember the way everyone talked about this before it came out, which was all of the people I follow on Twitter who care about the stuff was 
we don't need another West Side Story. And then everybody saw it and everyone's like, oh, we did need another West Side Story. And, it, you know, to me, it's like, to me, it's it was the clear number three. Now I think it's the clear number three with, you know, somehow Coda taking Belfast spot. But I think that's a pretty fucking great spot for it. Like to be like in my in my like kind of attempt to be objective about like the world's top 10 ranking right now. I think it goes Power of the Dog or Coda and then West Side Story. It's my sense, at least. You know, I I I hear where you're both coming from. Genuinely, I, I think that when it was announced that Spielberg was doing it, I was like, I don't know why we're doing this. Um, I, I still have issues with Ansel, um, sure. you know, per, personally and professionally. Um, I have issues but, with him personally and professionally too. Yeah, I, 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 that that goes without saying. But I so do obviously get, like, the obviously the personal part. But even like he's not good at this stuff. He's not great. He um, has a really nice movie. voice. I'll give him he's that. Actually but he's actually good in this movie. Yeah. He's, he, I don't think he's a, yeah, I don't think he's great. He's completely serviceable. He does what he has to do of, with a, a with lot a, with of a, people could have played that role. Yeah, you and know? he gets like, acted off the stage by Broadway actors by in every, every direction. Yeah. They're just and, like, and not Broadway. In, in Rachel so Siegel, blows yeah. him off the screen too. There are so many young male white actors who are good at this now. And well, yeah, choose him is kind of a bummer, but well, that they picked. I mean, I think that the the I think they picked him because they were hoping prior to the allegations that he was going to get some teenage girls in the seats because he does have you know baby driver our stars. Well. I don't know about and, that, but you know a lot of those. I, I think that, I mean baby driver was a big hit. I think that they they were looking for somebody who had some cachet. Yes, it was. I think that he they were looking for someone with some cachet that could get people. Sure in was seats. you're right about that, pal. Um, so I think that they wow. were like, listen, maybe this is the guy. And then unfortunately the allegations and understandably they were just like, they kind of hit him from all the various marketing. And I think that he was a little bit of a pall on the film sure. to some degree or another, but all this being said, Kenny, I don't think you're wrong that there, you know, Twitter's an ecosystem. We're in an echo chamber, right? Where we're in our own little bubbles. And I think that there are people that, that, Every person I know that has watched West Side Story has liked West Side Story. The problem is that not enough people watched it. Not enough people went to the theater to see it. I think that it, it just, I think it, it could have used all the love that it got when it dropped on, on Disney Plus and HBO Max about a week ago. It would have been nice if they got that three weeks ago. Being yeah. this fucking close to the top <laughs> and being a remake of a Best Picture winner is an incredible feat. I agree. Like, I can't overstate how unlikely this is that it is this close to the top. It is still even in the conversation, like a like on the outskirts, but today. And I think that's incredible. I, I want to go back to your point about Power of the Dog and Netflix, though, real fast. Mm -hmm. Because I do think that's an interesting point Joe Delian made. Mm -hmm. There are two things that I want to bring up. One, Power of the Dog was very fucking successful on Netflix. Power of the Dog was a was a hit on that on that platform. Was number one on there for weeks, and also is the only fucking serious movie in the Oscar best hashtag award. Um, so oh, yes, of course the, the fan it, favorite thing, you the mean? fan favorite yeah. thing, which is you know either like massive stand movies like Cinderella or you know Sing Johnny. Two. Step one or sing two, 
or uh, Spider-Man or that shit. And I believe Dune is in there and Tick, Tick, Boom is in there, which, by the way, like also a Netflix movie, also, you know, kind of an auteur movie. Mm -hmm. And um, and this, which is very unlikely unless, by the way, Don't Look Up is not in there. So, like, keep it like keep it in mind that like this movie did really fucking well on Netflix was really well liked. This the flip side, the reason why. So I think that like, if that was the end of the conversation, does this movie do well and draw people to Netflix and bring in eyeballs, forget about prestige eyeballs, they would keep it. The other thing he mentioned, and the thing I keep hearing from Netflix or around Netflix is this idea of everyone in America who has, who wants Netflix has Netflix. And the game is, Squid Game in you know Scandinavia, Squid Game in Africa, Squid Game in Australia, Squid Game in Latin America. It's it's we now think we can pull in the entire world. Mm-hmm. So does Power of the Dog help that goal? And uh, that's the thing I would be a little more worried about because, like, look, if you're, you know, everyone knows our feelings about Don't Look Up, Adam McKay. And like, is Adam McKay an auteur? Is Adam McKay an Oscar guy? Is Adam McKay a populist director? Like he's kind of all of those things. Like it's like, is Adam McKay going to get that money? I think yes. On Netflix, like forever, if he wants it. Um, Is Jane Campion going to get another shot with Netflix? I think yes, forever. If she wants it, because I think she's kind of proved it. But like, let's keep in mind, Jane Campion is someone who's essentially in movie jail for the last, 10 years he was just making an australian tv series so are we are we going to see someone who has kind of been absent get that kind of money from netflix in the future and like that is the one that's that's the thing that i'm like i don't know if they're going to take those shots the same way but i I hope they do i think they i mean listen I, i i think even if coda wins which i think would definitely be a kick in the nuts to Netflix, considering the amount of money that they spent, um, not just on making these films, but in marketing these films and these Oscar campaigns. And for Apple to swoop in there like two weeks out and just somehow, uh, you know, uh, steal the win from them, I think it would obviously be a bummer. But I also think it would be unfortunate if they throw the baby out with the bathwater and decide that they're, I mean, listen, they've already got movies in the hopper for next year, right? They got they got Noah Baumbach's White Noise adaptation, which will be out this year, which will definitely wow. be an Oscar player. Like there's, they, they, it's not as though they've given up on this. It's just, I think that weirdly, you know, Kenny, more than anybody, I'm never really cheering for Netflix because they're always kind of winning in some way or another. So I don't think they really need our help, but I'm a big Jane Campion fan. I think she deserves this. I think that it's, I think it's a special movie. Um, And, you know, I, I hope that it, I mean, to see Parasite, Nomadland and Power of the Dog win would be awesome. That'd be a hell of a run. I don't know what it means because my wife is very unpredictable, but (laughs) Parasite Nomadland and Power of the Dog were her three favorite movies in each year. And I'm not convinced that she would have watched any one of them if they weren't big in the Oscar conversation. Right. So I do think these things matter. Now, again, unpredictable. She is unpredictable and tends to like, you know, I don't know. She, they, I don't think these movies are similar at all, but like they were yeah. her favorite movie. They were like, you know, she, she called them in the moment. And it's like, this is what should win. But I think this really does matter. 
um, beyond our little bubble, which she is not a part of. So anyway, Jessica, this was always a pleasure. It would not be a Jessica episode if we didn't have a half an hour tangent at the end. Our Pokemon tangent at the end of uh, of Entrapment being one for the books. I forgot um, about that. You're so great. <laughs> you never. Yeah, I mean, it's just really, we love having you. This is, you know, we wouldn't want to do garbage with anyone else. Oh, no that, one does Twitter like you. If people aren't following you, they're idiots. Everyone should be following Jessica on Twitter. Go watch her film. Where can they watch your film right now? Jessica? It is. Uh, gosh, it's everywhere. It's it's on Amazon Prime now. Uh, it's on Apple. It's on. It's not on Netflix. Where else is it? It's other places. It's easy to find at this point. Yeah. What is it called? What again? Lies West. It's called oh. yeah, What Lies West. Um, Sadly, plus, not nominated for an Oscar this year. So my wife hasn't seen it, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't wait to have you back on the 2009 on our Patreon. We're going to have you on um, that very soon. So people have that to look forward to. We can't wait to bring you back for another movie that nobody wants to watch, but you um, at some point as well. But again, always a pleasure. Thank you so, so much. Jessica. Thanks so much, guys. It's always great to talk to you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.